But today we begin a very important journey as a church, and I said I wanted to share an announcement with you, and I want to start out this morning with that announcement. We're going on a journey starting today as a church, and we're going to ask God this question, what's next? It's a fair question. It's a great question, I think. In January of 2004, my wife and I stepped aside from a ministry that we were involved in when we were asked to plant this church and start Center Point Christian Church. It was me and my wife and our three kids who were in diapers and pull-ups. Needless to say, they were not much help. But we asked God, God, what's next? Because I never planted a church. I didn't know how to get a church off the ground. And we started asking that question, what's next? And as we asked that question, it was amazing how God would just unfold his plan of what's next to what's next to what's next. And that led us to launching the church in November of 2004 because we started asking what's next. That will be 15 years come this November as we celebrate our 15th birthday. And after launching, then we started asking the question, all right, God, we've launched, now what's next? And God guided us in every single step of how to do church when we were in a school for six plus years. How do you do that? And we asked that question, what's next? And it led us to eventually building this facility that we sit in today, and we moved into here in 10-10-10, 2010, October uh, 2010, we moved into this facility. Once we got in this facility, we started figuring out, okay, how do we do ministry in this facility? Continually asking, what's next, God? Just small little steps, things to figure out. Well, one of the big steps he led us to was put the addition on the building. And so we added on, taking care of children's ministry and student ministry, opened that last May. And we continue to ask the question, what's next? And you go over there now, uh, they probably had 40 to 50 elementary kids there this morning as they're ministering to these kids and just having a blast. And tonight they'll have 30 or 40 junior high and high school kids over there. And so we've been asking that question, what's next? And so we now are asking God, what's next? We'll be 15 this November. What's ministry going to look like for us in the next two, three, four, five years? And so as a church grows, it's, you need more people, have more voices speaking into what's next. More people praying about that. And so your elders and I decided to put a team together last fall. And so I'm going to introduce you to some people. I'm going to ask our elders to come on up here. One, some of you guys know who they are, and some uh, you may not know who they are. So if our elders are here, guys, you got to move a little faster. I know elder means old, but come on now. <laughs> uh, um, come on up here. So this is John Stamper. There you go. Help him up. That was more for Jerry. That was more so Jerry had an elbow. This is John Stamper. John missed first service because he was teaching junior high kids. Tim Curtis and Jerry Horn, they serve as elders alongside with me. And uh, we meet regularly. We pray regularly. Just trying to continually ask God, where do you want this church to go? What's next for this church? And so as we met and talked about this, one thing we've, we realized is, you know, there's only four brains here. And between the four, we get close to one. So, uh, so we said, you know what, we, uh, <clears throat> we need some help. And so we wanted to expand and ask more people to help us on that journey. And so our staff, I'm going to ask our staff to come on up here, uh, Lane and Kelly and Brianna. Why don't you guys go ahead and slide on down that way a little bit, make room here. Um, sometimes it, it's just good to, uh, for you to be able to identify who are some of the people in our ministry and who helps organize and lead ministry around here. And so down here on the right is Brianna, my wife. Some of you all go, you don't know that, but yes, she leads our music. We've had people in church tell us so they've been here for six months and she leads music and never see us together. So yes, we're married. And so if she winks at me from stage, then you know why she's winking at the preacher. So um, nothing illegal or wrong or nothing going on, you know. So 
And then Kelly Hughes. Kelly has been a ministry assistant here for 12 years, uh, been with us from the very beginning, uh, basically, and when we were over in a, the small little office off of Sandersville Road, and her and her family have been serving alongside of us, and she... A lot of times if you guys email me or send me a message, I might say, hey, you got to talk to Kelly. Now you know a face who you're talking to Kelly to help you out. And then Lane Haslock's our family pastor. Lane oversees everything from 12th grade and under. So he helps oversee and, and facilitate ministries for the junior high, senior high, elementary, preschool. And so there's a lot of volunteers in that area. May I just say, I missed this Lane first service. He always needs help. So if you want to plug in the church, just come find Lane and say, Lane, where can I plug in at? There's somewhere that he'll plug you in because there's always a need, nursery or preschool or elementary. So there's always a need to help minister to kids. So together, we do a lot of leading together, but we said, let's put together a team and call this our next steps team. So I'm going to ask them to come up here because I want you to, again, have faces and see who these folks are. So the next step team, why don't you join us up here? I think we have an all-star team of people that God has put together to guide us on this journey that we're going to be explaining to you today. This is Jason Harris. You've seen Jason before. He fills in preaching sometimes, and Devin Adi helps fill in preaching sometimes. Also, Devin directed our uh, Generosity Feeds ministry. Uh, Jason, you're working with Teenage Ministry, right, involved there. Leah Horn, Leah's been in our church. I remember, never forget, Stephen and Leah plugged in here, 10, 10, 10, first day that we opened this building, they came and never left and served faithfully, and she directs our kids' camp. So Leah, say, I need volunteers, right? This kids camp is getting ready to get started. You'll be hearing about that very soon as we minister about 100 children. Uh, Sarah Brown, Sarah and her husband Mike are involved, but mainly they oversee uh, our Grace Marriage Ministry and volunteer some other areas as well, but uh, been very faithfully involved. Jeremy Ratliff, uh, Jeremy's been part of our church for, would you say, six years earlier, seven years, eight years. Uh, he sat in our small group forever, and he always sat in a corner. We used to make fun of him. You're sitting in a corner of my couch from one group to another group. We finally kicked him out, and he leads one of our growth groups, and so he does a fabulous job. And then Mike Rudolph. Mike's fairly new to our church in the last year, um, but we started praying, saying, God, give us a team of people that have been around here for a while. Some people understand ministry. Give us some people understand strategizing and thinking and planning. And so the background of people here is just amazing. We have time to get into it. But this team is going to lead us this year on trying to discover next steps, and we're going to guide the church through this because we want to ask God, God, what's next for Centerpoint Christian Church over the next three or so years? So I want to pray over this team and pray over this church, and then I want to give you a little bit of the journey of how we've gotten to where we are today and, uh, and then begin in today's uh, sermon and this new series we're calling, just calling it Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we, we thank you for this day that you have brought us to. This day, Lord, when we we get a chance just to look forward and we ask that question, what's next? God, where are you leading us? What do you want for the body of Centerpoint? God, you've planted Centerpoint right here in this northwest corner of of Lexington for your purpose and for your kingdom, Lord. And we want to walk in that. And so, God, we pray for wisdom over this group of people as we facilitate and lead the congregation. Lord, we pray over the staff as they they manage lots of hats and spin lots of plates. Lord, would you protect their minds and our hearts and give them wisdom as they're thinking through all of this. Lord, I pray for our elders as they work with these different teams between the staff team and the next step team and they hold it all together. Lord, would you give them wisdom as well? Help them to know what kind of questions to ask. Give them foresight beyond what they could ever ask or imagine so that we lead in a way that is Christ-centered and only Christ-centered. God, I pray for this next step team. Lord, as they meet and they discuss and they dive into to information and they, and they seek uh, 
seek guidance about what's happening in our community and they seek the scriptures, Lord, I pray that you just make it very clear to them of where to help lead and help set some direction for the body of Centerpoint. God, I pray for complete unity. God, I pray that as the church gets involved and we get a chance to have their input, the whole body input, of we ask the question together, what's next, Lord? Would you unite us in such a way that when we look at it, we say, man, look what God has done. That there's no question that the plan and the directions we put together, there's no question other than us to know God did that. And so God, humble us, humble all of us, open all of our eyes and our ears and our mind to be open to hearing from you. So as we ask the question, what's next, Lord, we'll be obedient and we'll follow in your footsteps. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's allow these folks to step off the stage. Would you give them a hand, just kind of a thank you for their ministry and where they're serving? I want to begin just kind of sharing with you the journey we've been on. The last two or three years, elders of this church have been asking the question, how do we get better at discipling people, at making disciples? Jesus gave those marching orders in Matthew 28 when he said, go in all the world and make disciples. And so we've been asking that question and saying how we do that. And that's led us kind of to this point of saying, okay, God, we want to look at our community and look at our church and say, how do we make disciples? So in the fall of 2008, we invited several people from Centerpoint to join with us to meet Tim Wallingford, and he runs what's called the Center for Church Leadership. They have a process called the navigation process where they help churches and guide them and say, okay, let's look at your church, where you are, and how do you go moving, taking steps into the future. And so Tim has done some guiding with us and helping to direct us in this with the Center for Church Leadership. So in the fall of 2008, then the elders prayed and invited people to be part of the Next Steps team. Some people said, no, I can't do it. It's not the right time right now. And then some said yes. And that's how we arrived at the team that we're at right now. All those people had a chance then to sit also with Tim Wallingford and hear about this navigation process that we're, that we're calling taking next steps. In December of 2018, that team met for the first time. It was just kind of an introductory gathering to get together and say, okay, here's where we're looking to tackle over the next few years. And, and we know the journey that we're going to go upon, and we're going to hit the ground running hard come 2019. So in January, that team then started meeting and planning. And the thing that we've started with, because this is the, where we need to start, is we started what we're calling a 50 Days with Jesus Bible study journey. We've been on a journey over the last 40 plus days, just looking at the life of Jesus individually, doing individual Bible study. We're wrapping up our 50 days this week. We'll be finishing this up. But we wanted to start by looking at the heart of Jesus and how does Jesus do ministry. And so we have that model laid before us before we go to anything else. Because many churches where they fail is they get into a kind of planning process and they don't start the scriptures. They just start with what I think and what I feel. And we don't want to do what I think and what I feel. Now that is going to come into play when you look at the scriptures. But we've got to start with the scriptures. So then in February 2019, I preached to the Holy Spirit series. That, that Holy Spirit series was purposely planned because we as a church over the next several six, seven months, as we go on this journey together, we want to be guided by the Spirit of God and nothing else. And so we want to be able to lean upon and go, okay, what's the Spirit guiding us? How's the Spirit leading us? Not how Brian Bolton's leading us, not how Tim Curtis is leading us, not how Sally Sue is leading us. We want to do it by how 
the Spirit of God is leading us. And so we needed to have a good understanding of the Spirit. And now today we begin a seven-week series looking at Jesus. And what we're going to be looking at is exactly what the elders and staff and Next Step team have gone through over the last 50 days. They've looked at the seven priorities, the passions, the purpose of Jesus. And so we're going to look at that as a church. And so we're going to be doing that in Sunday morning in our sermons, but also in our growth guide. Every growth guide is going to lead us to look at the heart of Jesus because as we have discussions together, we want to draw back to the scriptures. Is that fair? Is that a good thing? Right? We've got to draw back to the scriptures. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, April 14th, it's going to lead us to a big day on April 14th. You put this on your calendar. At 5 in the evening, we're going to have an event where they were calling Dreams Unlimited, a night of dreaming big and unlimited possibilities. And the entire church is going to invite, be invited to participate in that. It's going to be a food and fellowship type time. And then we're going to have a brainstorming time. In between now and then, the Next Steps team is doing a lot of research. They're investigating what's going on in our communities, what are needs within our communities. They'll be doing investigating and doing some SWOT analysis, looking at our church. How are we doing in this area? How can we get better in this area? And so when we come together that night, we're going to brainstorm together and just think about and just dream. What if? What if we went this way? What if we did this? What could God do in this church? And then May through August, after that big dream event, there will be some groups of people put together to help determine some next steps or some big initiatives that we're going to tackle over the next three years. And so in the fall of 2019, we're going to launch a three-year strategic plan for the body of Centerpoint as we turn 15 years old and say, here's where we're going, here's what we're praying for, here's what we're tackling, here's what we're addressing. And so that's going to be brought to the entire church, and you, the church, will have a lot of input as you choose to get involved and give your input when we ask for that. So today, we begin talking about the kingdom of God, the church. What is the kingdom of God and why does it matter? That's an important question for us to consider today. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek, for his, seek, for, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and and his righteousness. That word seek means that you go hunting for. It's something that you look for and you look intently. Preacher and author Ken Hemphill says, in the kingdom of God, I have found something far superior to personal fulfillment. I have found the heart of God. I have found my reason for being here. He said, when I started to discover what the kingdom of God is, I know why I exist. I believe that the kingdom of God is so huge. And I believe we need a kingdom perspective. When we get a kingdom perspective, what's going to happen is we're going to start to understand that the kingdom's sheer immensity will remove all limits on what God can do through us. Look at that statement. The kingdom's sheer immensity removes all limits on what God can do through us. We need to have a mindset, church, as we go on this, that we can do anything through Christ. That's what the scriptures tell us, but sometimes we don't behave that way. That's the mindset we want in this church. We can do anything through Christ. That means that God's kingdom has absolutely no boundaries. That, that means that the kingdom of God is big and broad and is beyond our wildest imagination. It means its fullness can never be attained. Its resources are never depleted. Its season is never over. And when you live 
in the kingdom of God, you never get the feeling that you've seen all this and done all this before. You're actually like sitting on the edge of your seat just going, God, show me what's next. And you're living in anticipation to see the hand of God move. That's what I'd like for each of you to experience. That's what I'd like for us as a church to experience. Knowing what truly ignites the heart of God is something that we desperately need and we need to understand. But now let me give you a warning. Many times when you go on a spiritual journey like this and you're opening yourselves up and you say, God, we want to do something big. God, we want to know your heart more. God, we want to get closer to you. God, we want you to direct every step that we take. Then many times you got to watch out because the evil and the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll do everything he can to distract us as a church, to distract us as individuals, and he'll do everything he can to get us off course because he doesn't want a church getting serious about seeking the heart of God. I personally felt this attack, I think, uh, uh, under Satan for the last few months. Some of you know I've been fighting some kind of cold infection, sinus infection, for about two months now. And I think it's because God, because Satan knew we are going in this direction, trying to get you tired or worn out and discouraged. And he'll do the same thing to us as a church. God wants us to come as we are to this exciting adventure. Now maybe you're feeling too empty right now. You're like, I don't have much energy or life to give to God to even work with. I want you to know that's okay. God wants to work with you right where you are. God's kingdom finds growth in the hearts of those who are even tired and who are spent and who are overwhelmed. The Bible is filled with examples of men and women who God met at their thirstiest place and he led them to streams of living water. He'll do that in you if you'll seek him and his kingdom. Maybe you're feeling disillusioned and frustrated. Maybe things in life just are not happening. Do you know what's really cool? It's never too late to begin seeking afresh and anew the kingdom of God. Never too late. There might, there might be a myriad of things the evil one throws at you or throws at us as a church where he tries to discourage, discourage us on a journey. We need to watch out for that. But I want you to know that whatever your situation is right now, however you, you feel that relationship with God is right now, right now is the time for us as a church. Right now is the time for us to be asking God, what's next? What's the journey you're taking us on the church? Now is the time to ask the Lord what it would mean for us to be a kingdom church or a kingdom person. And that's a new terminology for many of us because really it's not something you hear talked about in the church a lot. If you want to do that, I want to ask you maybe even write this kind of prayer out and start praying, Lord, what does it mean for me to be a kingdom person? That's a very fair and good question. Lord, what does it look like in my life to be a kingdom-minded person? And start praying that prayer and say, God, would you reveal that to me? That's why we're taking this this journey to discover Jesus, to discover his passion and his purpose and his priorities and what his kingdom looks like and say, we want to be on board with you and your kingdom. We don't want to create our own. And so there's some good questions I think we should ask this morning. One question is, why is the kingdom of God important? Why is it important? The kingdom is a theme of the New Testament. First sermon in the New Testament was from John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 3, he tells them, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then the beginning of Jesus' ministry is characterized by preaching this exact same message. In Matthew 4, 
from, this, from that part on, Jesus preached, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so you just see a little bit translation. John the Baptist said, it's coming near. And Jesus says, has come near. Jesus' ministry that has started. And then you see at the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth in Acts chapter 1, just before he goes to heaven, it says, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing them on, during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. And so Jesus starts his ministry talking about the kingdom of God, ends his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. And if Jesus starts it and ends it, would that not tell us, boy, that's awful important that we talk and we share the kingdom of God. But if that's not enough already, you look at the Apostle Paul, and Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 says, Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things related to what? To the kingdom of God. He preached the message and said, I got to tell you about the kingdom of God. James does the same thing. In James chapter 2, listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? And so James brings up this idea of the kingdom. And then John speaks of the kingdom in his own gospel and he concluded revelation with this emphasis in revelation 11 says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and his messiah and he will reign forever and ever and in, in revelation 12 he says the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our god and authority of his messiah have now come because the accuser of our brother has been thrown out the one who accuses them before the god day and night and so from one writer to another writer from paul to james to john we see again, the kingdom of God. It's the central theme of the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I mean, we go on and on. Verse after verse after verse after verse that points us to the kingdom of God. You can find more verses, verses like Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then a kingdom of God has come to you. In Matthew 19, it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus said, I assure you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new and in new in a new way in the kingdom of God. And in Luke chapter 4, says when the crowds tried to keep Jesus from going to other cities, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom. All over, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. For that, I was sent for this purpose. And that purpose becomes our purpose when Jesus gave us our marching orders and said, go into all the world. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 70, twice he told them to declare, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's, it's, it's mind-baffling for us to get our purpose and go, we carry the message of the kingdom of God as a church. And the thing is, it's not just in the New Testament. Now, I could keep you all here at about three in the afternoon if we want to go through the Old Testament and show you the kingdom. But from Zechariah to Obadiah to Daniel, uh, there are so many more verses. As God established Israel as a nation, as he called them back to relationship with him, his concern was his kingdom. And so we could do an Old Testament study, a New Testament study, and it elevates and lifts out the kingdom of God. So we see this kingdom is so important 
throughout all the scriptures. So then the next question we would consider is what is the kingdom of God? See, if it's important to Jesus, it must be important to us. We've got to understand what it is. If we are his subjects, his servants in the kingdom of God, then God is the ruler of our lives. And he is the king of the kingdom of God in this world now. And if we are to understand the kingdom of God, we must know what that kingdom of God is. Here, here are a few statements, I think, that tell us what the kingdom of God is. It has come and it is coming. It is shown today in the life of the church and it will be perfectly expressed and experienced in the second coming of Christ when he establishes his kingdom to rule here on earth. It describes the obedience to the will of God in the individual and the corporate body church. It points us to what the kingdom is. It is a reality when obedience to God's word and will is a reality. So when we obey God's word and God's will, we see the kingdom of God functioning at work. It is the opposite of selfishness, arrogance, and human manipulation. Kingdom of God is not about me, it's about him. It is seen when the revelation of God through his word is obeyed and the presence of God through the Holy Spirit is realized. We see the kingdom functioning right before our own very eyes. We are to be instruments of God and can be used to extend his kingdom everywhere and all the time. So we're carriers of the kingdom of God. Simply put, a kingdom enterprise is where the power of God is evident, where the presence of God is experienced, and the purposes of God are realized. And so you see the power and the presence and the purpose of God at function, you see the kingdom of God at work. The best thing about all this is, is the kingdom of God is God's gift to us. God's gift for us and everyone else. See, as self-sufficient adults, to have and to receive the most necessary thing in life, this gift, it's humiliating. It's humbling. You think about it. We would many times most rather secure our own lives by building our own little kingdoms. That's how this world works. The things that are important to us more than anything else, many times are our careers and our homes and our families and our comfort. Take care of me, me, me. And we start building our own kingdom. And then we discover the thing we need most is the reign of God. And that can only sit back as helpless recipients to receive what he gives us. That's so opposite of what this world teaches. So opposite what's actually inside of us. That's why the gospel message is so offensive to people. They don't want to be put under the reign of a king. No one else should be in charge of my life. No one else is going to be my boss. No one else is going to direct my life. See, what we want to see is our own life and our own little ways and approach life on our own terms. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is filled with people who submit to the ways of the king. If God won't have the things, that, if God won't do it their way, then they don't want to follow God many times. Think about this. Jesus Christ has the kingdom of God in his hands. He's handing out a gift to people. From CEOs to janitors, the kingdom of God is for you. From soldiers to civilians, the kingdom of God is for you. From PhDs to high school dropouts, from black to white, from east to west, from dictators to Democrats, he and he alone offers the kingdom of God as a gift. What are we doing with it? We as a church need to ask, what are we doing with it? Individually, we need to ask, what are we doing with this gift that we've received? Now, if you haven't received this great gift that I'm talking about, we'd love to help you understand what we're talking about even further. 
as we have prayer time afterward, our prayer team would love to chat with you about what it means to walk and live in the, in the kingdom of God and how to be, enter into the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom is all about. It's all about Jesus. By giving us his kingdom as a gift so that we can live a life that truly has meaning. A life that makes a difference. A life that works for the king to spread the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. We get a chance to be part of that great mission. Which leads us to another question. Then how do we communicate this kingdom of God? See, his kingdom must be communicated. Jesus spent a, a lot of time proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and teaching his disciples to do the same. Telling, telling others about the kingdom of God was very important to him. You see that in Luke chapter 8, where soon afterwards he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God from one town to another. For us, it may be from one store to another, from one neighbor to another, maybe from one city to another. The 12, the 12 his disciples were with him. We began his ministries. And that's what, what he did. He took over from John the Baptist and began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near before. Like I said before, Jesus began his ministry proclaiming the kingdom and ended his ministry proclaiming the kingdom. And everything he did in between was all about the kingdom. Proclaiming God, proclaiming his father. Jesus knew the importance of communicating the kingdom. And if we want to have our hearts ignited by the same thing that ignites the heart of God, then we too will want to learn how to communicate the kingdom to others. And we want to make the kingdom of God just as important in our lives as Jesus did. Matthew 24, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as testimonies to all nations. We're part of this journey. We're part of this story. In what ways do you communicate the kingdom of God to others? Do people around you even know that you're a kingdom person, that you live in a different kingdom, that you're in this world but not of this world? This kingdom requires commitment, obedience, and preparation if we're going to communicate about the kingdom. Jesus tells a parable of the ten bridesmaids they all went out with their lamps to, to wait for the groom. But he tells us that five of the bridesmaids were foolish and five of them were sensible. The five that were sensible were all well prepared. They brought extra oil so that they would not run out. The foolish ones didn't bring any extra oil. When the groom was delayed, the foolish bridesmaids had to go out and buy some more oil because their lamps were going, to, their lamps were going out in the middle of the night. <clears throat> but the sensible bridesmaids, they were ready and when the groom showed up, the only ones that were prepared for him to meet with him were the ones who brought the extra oil. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is just like this. That all of us need to be sensible and all of us need to be prepared for God's kingdom. We need to be telling others about the kingdom of God and that requires commitment, it requires obedience, it requires preparation because the kingdom is reserved for those who hear and prepare and commit. The kingdom as God's gift to us must not make us passive. The greatness of the gift calls us to a life that is strenuously vigilance, effort, and radical obedience. That we say, you know what? What I'm doing as a kingdom person has utmost importance. It is the ultimate gift given to us, and so we must give the ultimate gift of allegiance to God's kingdom. 
We've got to make God's kingdom a priority. Are you prepared to obey God's command and proclaim the kingdom of God to the world? That's what we're asking. God, what's next? How do we get better at proclaiming the kingdom? It takes an all-out commitment. It takes a church that says we're willing to do it. We're willing to go above and beyond. And in order to communicate this, this kingdom is costly. Matthew 13 says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. There was this man, he found this treasure, he reburied it instead of stealing it. Then with the joy and excitement, he went out and he sold everything he had. He gave up everything so he could go buy that field and get the treasure that's in the field. What an investment he made. He was willing to sell everything that he had in order to get a treasure worth far more than anything else. See, when you entered into the kingdom of God, when you gave your life to Jesus, did you view it that way? Did you view it that I'm entering the kingdom of God and I'm going to give my all, my everything? When you receive Jesus in your heart, you make him your Lord of your life. Did you give up everything and say, I'm going to serve him? Or did you just add a little bit of Jesus to the rest of your life? Did you put them just on the list of things that you participate in? Now, I'm not saying you have to sell everything and go live like a hermit. Now, for some, maybe God's calling you to do that. Maybe he's calling you to go sell everything and go across the world. He may be calling you that. What I'm asking you is, what do you spend your time and your money on the most? Where do you invest your energy? Do you spend all your time at work so that you're so tired after you've worked a long week of 60, 70, 80 hours that when it comes to kingdom ministry that you put on a back burner, you say, I'm so exhausted, I can't do anything else. I mean, is doing kingdom activities way lower on your scale of things to do because your life is so busy with so much else that you're too tired to have the time? I mean, look at your priorities and your time and you have work and you have family and you have your kids' activities. Uh, does kingdom ministry get bumped down? And you're like, I can't possibly do that. Ask yourself, what's most important to me? Where do I spend my time and where do I spend my money? You want to know, just take a look at your calendar and take a look at your checkbook. Take a look at your bank accounts. Take a look at where you spend your time and you'll know what's important to you. Just by doing a calendar review and a bank account review, you'll know where does God rank in the midst of the things that I'm participating in. See, is Jesus truly Lord of your life? And are we really ready to be kingdom-minded people? That's the journey we're going to go upon. Every time we ask what's next, we're asking what's next for this body because we want to be kingdom-minded people. We want to be a kingdom-minded church. See, this man found that the hidden treasury, in order to get the hidden treasure, he had to make a decision. Is this treasure that I found more valuable than the treasures that I have in my own possession? Is the treasure of Jesus and being part of his kingdom more valuable than everything this world has to offer for us? He decided it was. So, so he sold everything. He said, go buy that field and he could claim that treasure. Are you ready to pay the cost? Are we ready to pay the cost what it means to be a kingdom person, to be, become a kingdom church? Because if we do, God will bless you so much and give you more than you ever dreamed of. God's kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever. God's kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever. Church, we can't stop it from growing. 
and we can't make it grow. It's God's kingdom. He'll do that work. Everything that God has done, all the things that you've learned in the Bible and the blessings that he's bestowed upon his people, everything that God has blessed you with is intended to have a global and an eternal impact. The things we have, the things we own, the things that's part of our life, it's for him and his kingdom. It does mean that maybe we have to change the way we think about what's truly important. See, God has one plan to bring his kingdom here on earth. He doesn't have plan B and plan C and plan D and plan E. He has one plan. Do you know what that plan is? The plan is his church. The way his kingdom comes here on earth is through his church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It means the called out ones. It actually goes back to, to Rome when the Roman emperor and the, and the Roman rule and the Roman power, the Ecclesia team they had. See, the team met regularly to hear the commands of the Roman emperor. They'd come together to, to hear the commands. Then they would go into a community and they would start to influence the, the Roman way with the Roman culture as they influenced. And that's how that Roman empire became so powerful. This was the assimilation process that conquered nations. By teaching the ways of the Roman Empire, the ecclesia, the called out ones of that group, got together and said, we are going to now take over the world. The goal was to create a united empire. That's where we get the word ecclesia. See, as followers of Jesus, we become his ecclesia team. The church is called out. We come together. We meet weekly for worship. We get into Bible studies to study the word of God. And why? Because we want to learn his ways. We want to be influenced by his thinking and, and his plans and his purpose and his passions and his priorities so that we go into our communities and we influence our neighbors. We influence our coworkers. We influence our cities. We influence our states. We influence our country. So hopefully this country would be more in tune and more directed by the ways of God. And so we're called out to be built up than to go into a culture that needs Jesus. We teach them Christ's culture and his values and his priorities. So we start a center point with this mission. And this has been our driving force ever since day one, that we exist as a church to connect people with God, center lives on Jesus, and to help lives change through the Holy Spirit. That's what this church exists for. Connecting people with God who don't know God, help them walk with God, help them learn what it means to put Jesus at the center of life so the Holy Spirit can do a work of change inside of them. This journey that we're beginning today, we're asking, how can we get better at living out our mission? How do we get better at living out the mission of God? How can we be most effective at bringing God's kingdom here on this earth? And so church, I ask you, make it a prayer. God, what's next? What's next for me? What's next for our church? God, help me to be a kingdom-minded, focused person. Bow your heads with me.